back to On the Block with Strick and Nate on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. We are back here on the block here on a Wednesday afternoon, getting ready for the Nebraska Rutgers game. We're just covering sports all together. We've got a fun show planned out for you. Uh, of course, we've got shootout with Strick coming up in the next segment. Uh, but I'm really interested. we got a GM survey, by the way. I always love the GM survey in the NBA, so we'll get to that too. Some Aaron Judge, some college football. Uh, but let's start with Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald. Evan, how are you doing today? Hey, hanging out, doing well. How's it going? Oh, not too bad. I think it's pretty good to uh, talk to one another after a win. That it, seem, it just seems to be like that doesn't happen too often anymore, but maybe there's a, a change in the program here. Yeah, it's like people don't know what to do with their hands. Like, you, you, you're like, uh, you know, you kind of get into this uh, this habit, I suppose, of like, well, let's explain away what ha- what happened or what went wrong and what they need to do to get better. And, and suddenly, yeah, it's a different conversation of what went well. How can they build on this? It's uh, definitely a different <laughs> sort of uh, routine than we've been used to. Yeah, and, and I guess just kind of looking back at that game, it's kind of interesting because we're all – uh, I guess pretty comfortable with the offense and then the defense was the major concern. And now I don't know if, if you have that kind of same feeling, obviously one week doesn't fix the defense as a whole, but um, you know, the offense kind of struggled a little bit where, where are you kind of, as you head into this Rutgers game, just your confidence meter and, and both sides of the ball. Well, I, I suppose I'm more intrigued with what the defense can do because I think we, you know, we all thought the defense would be better this year than it was. I mean, it, it, of course, as we all know, it's been historically bad through that quarter pole of the season. And so for that unit to suddenly play with some passion, for it to be uh, sound tackling, for it to not uh, blow some assignments, and to see some disruptive plays was was really interesting. And, of course, it coincides with Bill Bush taking over at, uh, at D.C. And so you wonder how much... Uh, you know, the approach of simplifying the language can carry on. You wonder how much just some of the real basic priorities and, and points of emphasis can carry on, you know, get set, right, and play fast. And that, that, that was like, that was what they did. They, they called some of the same plays, two or three plays in a row against Indiana because they wanted guys to be set and ready to go. So they didn't overcomplicate things. And you just wonder if that's, sustainable moving forward and it seems like it can be i mean we saw what ty robinson did he looked like a different player uh on the d line we saw what malcolm hartzog did in his first start at corner the linebacker play nick henrich and luke reimer was really impressive especially i thought in pass coverage we saw them do some things they haven't done or they haven't showed at least um you know in a number of games probably dating back to last season so i I think i'm cautiously optimistic that that side can continue to show some improvement under Bill Bush. Um, you know, the offensive side, I think it, it, that unit sort of is what it is at this point, barring injury. <clears throat> I think, you know, Anthony Grant has proven that he can be a reliable weapon. Somebody who can grind out some yards. Uh, Trey Palmer clearly has, has set himself uh, apart as a, as a weapon, a big play threat. We saw what he did last week and what he's really done in big moments when Nebraska has needed him time and time again. And, and, you know, Casey Thompson's, I think, you know, despite the injuries that he detailed at his press conference this week, has been able to to be a gamer and to get done what Nebraska needs to get done. And, you know, the the old line's been a work in progress, but um, sort of is what it is at this point too. I don't know that there's a ton of 
you know, a wide range of outcomes for that group at this point. So I, I suppose just in terms of, uh, you know, comfortability with, with what the offense is, it's probably higher, but I think the, the ceiling for the defense after what it showed last week is probably higher too. So Evan, this, uh, good to have you as always. Listen, I think, um, I wanted to ask you what sometimes is the importance of a change of, of, of voice. Um, does it sometimes to you take on the persona of the head coach or the coachings or the staff because of what you come from possibly as to what you now have? And do you see there's some correlation possibly to that being that, and again, we don't know what Scott's like behind the scenes. He didn't do you know much of telling us that, but it seems to me that there's just having a different voice, a different um, uh, person that's uh, uh, that persona of that person can sometimes translate to the players. Is that something you thought you saw in this this last week, as opposed to the week before, where it was such a short time in the turnover? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, the the Oklahoma game they had what, five days basically to, to right. implement what they wanted to do. And you just were trying to stay afloat at that point. So yeah, I think the bye week came at a good time. They were able to reset some things. You know, it, it's sort of like, you know, when you're growing up and you hear from your parents all the time and you can mm-hmm. kind of start to drown them out a little bit. And then somebody else, maybe like a teacher or a, a friend or one of your parents' friends says something to you and it resonates more. Right. And it's like, this, it's the same message. Yeah but it comes from somebody else and it's just like, Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. I, I never mm-hmm. thought of it that way. Right. I, I kind of see mm-hmm. it as sort of like that where, um, you know, I don't know how drastically different Mickey Joseph's message has been from Scott Frost, but it is, it, it's come from somebody else and from somebody who, um, you know, probably like coach Frost is, has an investment in these guys who uh, cares about them as people. And, and we saw, you know, the, the post game celebration, Saturday night was real. Like the the way that that group of guys cheered when Trout Alberts handed Mickey Joseph the game ball, that was not something set up for social media. That was an organic, emotional moment where those guys clearly and genuinely were behind Mickey and what he was doing. Now, the, I think the challenge becomes: can you can you replicate that? Is that something that Brown mm-hmm. can put in its carry on bag and take to New Jersey this weekend? Because it's it's here for a game at home with a new DC to sort of get up and play for those guys. But it's harder, I think, to replicate that week in and week out to channel that same emotion. So, you know, in the absence of that, I think all the other things that those coaches have been talking about need to come into play, better fundamentals, consistency, all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you can, at the right points, inject the, the kind of passion and, and emotion that Nebraska showed Saturday night, sometimes those can be the things that make a difference in the game too. So I absolutely think that, you know, a change of voice has, uh, at least as far as the Indiana game is concerned, uh, you know, made a difference in their play. And, of course, today the, the big news with Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald joining us today uh, here on the block. Um, the uh, Nebraska left or sent out a message saying that uh, the associate athletic director, Matt Davidson, is leaving the athletic department and starting the new 1890 uh, initiative, which is the new NIL collective. And, and there's plenty of those <laughs> to go around. So that's something to talk about, too, is the future of those. But, um, you know, a lot of people kind of connected Davidson to the, the, the Frost regime. And uh, I know there were some, you know, some fans, maybe small, but vocal fans that uh, wanted to see something done with Davidson. Do you think this is kind of uh, along those lines or is this something more suited to Davidson's strengths here? 
Well, it might be both. I mean, I, I think there was speculation, there has been, uh, since Scott Frost was dismissed about what what happens with ABM, which has been the primary NIL collective that Nebraska's had. And, and the question is there because it is it has been run by Jared Lambrecht, who's you know a, a longtime good friend of Scott Frost. They grew up together. They came from UCF together. You're probably you know, going to want to have somebody running that thing who, who doesn't have such strong ties to a former head coach. And I, I think this is uh, a step in that direction, certainly with what, uh, you know, was announced today with the 1890 initiative. So that, that will then absorb what EBM has been to this point. Um, you know, I think that's the collective most people think about when they think about, uh, you know, NIL operations around Nebraska. So, you know, in Davidson, um, they get a guy who who has been a good money raiser. I mean, he's raised uh, I think it's tens of millions for that the Go Big project uh, with the the new facility going up there in North Stadium. So uh, he's somebody who has a strong relationship with you know the the movers and shakers around the fan base and around the state. Um, so I think that's that's a positive too, and it just shows that you know the NIL uh, I guess landscape or ecosystem continues to change because you've got that you have now the, the the big red collaborative which is the the nonprofit sort of arm of this whole thing and then you have a couple of grassroots uh nil operations too like the big red fan club and um the lincoln uh nil club they all kind of run together like you said but um yeah this one d- does seem poised to be one of the bigger ones sort of the the for-profit sort of main version um, that Nebraska's putting out there. I think it's no small thing that, um, you know, Trev Alberts weighed in on this uh, collective. That's not been the case with every one of these that have popped up. So it clearly has the uh, the backing or at least the endorsement of the university. And, um, you know, it, it will now have as its president, as its face, someone who's been pretty high profile around Nebraska athletics, both on the radio and uh, behind the scenes raising money. So it does seem like, um, you know, ultimately probably a win-win for all parties involved. And I, I just find the whole thing fascinating. Obviously, when now that football has started, it kind of takes away from the, all, all the off-season storylines and worrying about the future of college football. You know, once the season starts, like, all right, we're, we're getting into the games and the games are fun and, you know, it's back on back up to that. But, you know, kind of the whole the off-season discussion I thought was kind of funny. It's, you know, collectives, uh, you know, nationally, I guess the idea is collectives are bad because they uh, gear toward uh, recruit recruits and not necessarily toward the players on the team. Is, is, is Nebraska, um, you know, I know they've been like working on this for years and trying to set this up and that kind of all went to the ABM model but um have they been doing this I suppose the right way or as as they see it uh, going along the right way as opposed to kind of what the collectives um I suppose the image of collectives nationally yeah I would I mean I think so and they would they would say so people I've spoken with around it would say that they've done it the right way I mean you look at just the last off season and some of the names that Nebraska's brought in I mean uh, Casey Thompson was uh, was well treated with with the NIL world. Uh, O'Shawn Mathis the same way, Trey Palmer the same way, and it's not unique to Nebraska. You saw it all over the country. Um, you know the difference, or I suppose the nuance there being that other schools that have sort of popped up in the headlines use the NIL portion of it sort of as an inducement. Come here and you'll make this much money, whereas Nebraska would say that its approach has been more, um, there are going to be opportunities for you. We can't tell you what those are right now, but once you get here, just know that this fan base supports the program. And then, 
you know, trust what some of these other players have received. So that's, that's sort of the, the splitting hairs, I suppose, of, of what goes into that. But, you know, as far as their model, it's pretty similar to what you're seeing in a lot of power five schools where, again, you have sort of the, the for-profit arm of it, which has been ABM locally. And you have the, the nonprofit side of it, which has been, uh, is going to be the big red collaborative. And, and, and sort of the way that I think about it is the difference is, um, you know, with these agencies, these agency models, it's sort of like the money is going, they want, donors want to get money to the student athletes. And what they do is sort of immaterial in that, you know, Hey, let's go on a hunting trip. Let's do an interview or whatever. And you'll get the money. Whereas um, some of the other maybe grassroots or, or the nonprofit side have specific things they want these student athletes to do, whether that's advocate for their charities, um, whether that's some sort of personal experience, you know, an autograph session or whatever. And then, the, and then they're paid through those specific actions. But um, they would they would tell you that uh, it's sort of a of a group effort, so to speak. And and you know, no matter what they're doing or, or how they're going about receiving that money, they feel like ultimately it's uh, you know cumulatively cumulatively something better that's uh, you know going to help Nebraska recruit better and, and ultimately win in the long run. And, and going back to the field real quick, I wanted to ask you this because I've seen some, you know, the headlines coming out of Piscataway uh, calling this uh, this upcoming game Friday night against Rutgers a must-win for the Scarlet Knights uh, against Nebraska, I should say. And, uh, you know, obviously if you're a Mickey Joseph fan or, or supporting him along his, uh, his attempt to become uh, the next head coach, but maybe more importantly, um, just for these seasons, it's kind of interesting. Nebraska at 2-3 and three looking to get to 500. Rutgers looking to avoid to drop to 500 because they are 3-2. and two right now who do you think this is more of a must-win game for yeah I mean you could kind of make the case either way I was I didn't realize until this week that Rutgers was on a 21 game Big Ten home lose they haven't won a Big Ten game at home in a long time and so if you're Rutgers and you're looking at your schedule um, and you see that yeah you've got Nebraska traveling from half the country away having fired its coach having all the problems that we all know and, and have been well chronicled. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a, a game that you feel like you got to win. And so from their perspective, Greg Shiano's back in his third year. Uh, he's already resurrected that program once that he did, you know, in the two thousands this time around, it's been a little slower to come around. They got off to the three and zero start, right. A couple close wins. Um, but yeah, it's when you look at the rest of their schedule without beating Nebraska, it's sort of a tough road to get to a bowl game. Maybe they can beat Indiana. Maybe they can beat, Michigan State, maybe they can beat Maryland. That's a lot of maybes for Rutgers just to get there. So um, they would. I, I think it, it's probably Rutgers that has more to lose, quite honestly, just because they're trying to find some sign of progress, you know, with their head coach. Whereas Nebraska, um, you know, is still in a in a in national search mode. Uh, certainly, it's interesting to see maybe if Mickey Joseph and company can keep this momentum rolling and and figure something out and and you know who knows contend for the West or or uh, be competitive and making a bowl game. Um, but ultimately I think it comes down to one school's already fired its head coach. The other one's looking for hope. And so I think that's where the pressure is this week, even if the fan bases um, probably have pretty different expectations in that regard. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a fascinating game. I'm looking to uh, forward to some Friday night lights. Uh, once again, thank you to Evan Bland for joining us this week on, on the block. Thanks guys. All right, there he goes, Evan Bland. Uh, fascinating uh, interview, always uh, informative and uh, and good stuff there. So uh, let's get to it. Let's learn a little bit more about Rutgers through 
our game today. I'm gonna triv- I'm gonna have some trivia for you here, Strick, and uh, I don't I don't ex- expect you to necessarily know it, but um, it's uh, it's uh, you're gonna think about some Rutgers names of the past in football, um, which can be somewhat difficult at times. So uh, we'll get to that. Uh, it's time for a shootout with Strick. We need uh, one of you guys to call in as well. Four zero two four six four five six eight five. First person to do so. It's a competitive call. So first person to do so will have a chance at fifteen dollars to Buffalo Wings and Rings if you can beat Strick in the shootout that's coming up next here on the block on 93.7 the ticket (laughs) 